All right, so um, I am coming this morning in a place of dependency. How, how many of you guys have gotten to a point where there's like certain things in your life where you realize you're getting old with? All right, number one, does anyone in my age and above, does anyone ever sleep well when they're camping? You actually, like you actually don't wake up just in so much pain? Okay, well, I, okay, I do. I wake up in so much pain, and it's horrible. Um, but I took the boys camping on Friday night um, down at Northside Christian. It was great. We had a baseball camp on the field. We pitched tents in the outfield, which is like what boys' dream is not to pitch a tent in the outfield and sleep on the field like under the lights. And even though the grass was like perfectly manicured, I still never slept, and I was in a ton of pain. And then we were with friends last night till about midnight, so I was finishing up this till about 2 in the morning, woke up again at 5.30 to finish it up. So that's about where I'm at, not real polished, put together, and we just get to let the Lord lead in this and figure out where in the world he wants to take us. But maybe in my sleep deprivation um, and thinking through where I wanted to, to bring us this morning, I have to confess like one of my guilty pleasures. You guys have guilty pleasures that you don't like to talk publicly about? Okay, good. Um, so do you guys watch The Office? Okay, that, The Office is my guilty pleasure. And, to, and it's good that Abby's in the back right now because she can't stand The Office at this point with how many times I've watched every season of The Office. But I thought as I was prepping for this morning, as I was prepping for this morning, I thought what better way to start our time than with Michael Scott. So, um, Jason, if you can cue us up Michael Scott, this is where we're going to start our time this morning. see. Now, just as awkward as Michael Scott, it, the, the analogy is not landing at home, but that's about how put together I am this morning, so that's okay. Oh, can we hear Michael? Oh, we're going to do it again. More of the office. They are unreadable. They're just numbers and boring and black. So what I was thinking is that maybe we should have some sort of graphic, like if we have a bad quarter put in a storm cloud, and when we have a good quarter, fireworks, or a race car, doesn't have to be a race car, use your imagination. There's this cube on the screen, and it bounces around all day, and sometimes it looks like it's heading right into the corner of the screen, and then at the last minute it hits a wall and bounces away. And we are all just dying to see it go right into the corner. Pam claims that she saw it one day when she was alone in the conference room. Okay. <laughs> I believe she thinks she saw it. I saw it. I saw it, and it was amazing. Who said I didn't see it? Did Jim say that I didn't see it? I saw it. We have a lot of colored paper here. Why, oh, why do we keep printing this on white? No, oh, come on! Yeah. I know. I know. It's bland. It's never going to happen. Dude, Dude you got to believe. Maybe we could have some sort of riddle. Wait for it. Like something that you have to look for. Sort of a, where's Waldo? Oh! All right, all right, let's quit while we're ahead. That was so awesome. That was awesome. Thank you. Some days I am just on fire. Why don't I say? <laughs>
21st century America right now, right? And I don't know what happened. Okay. And what we have, I needed walk-up music. I was trying for walk-up music. Um, what we have here in Mark, if we're thinking about ourselves sitting in Rome, right, under the persecution of Nero, like the, the hearers of this letter would have been, I feel really, really echoey right now, but you guys can still understand me. What we're seeing for these people who are in Rome, who are experiencing this, who are walking through this, who are reading this letter from Mark is that they are Jim and Pam, right? They are Jim and Pam and they are looking at Mark and listening to Mark and he is ping-ponging from one side to the other throughout this entire book. And when we start to see the structure of how Mark lays it out, and as we start to read scripture for ourselves, we see that every time we see these contrasts, right, is Mark bringing us from one point to another to draw our attention to something that's really specific, right? Just like the cube is bouncing around the screen, that's what Mark is doing to his readers. And so as they're listening to this and they're waiting in this eager expectation to see the cube land in the corner, right, that's where we're going today is Mark is going to hit home and start to move us exactly towards that corner. And so as we read scripture, this is a good tool for us to see those contrasts and start to look for them. And so this morning, as we come into where we're going in Mark 10, we're coming off of the rich young ruler that Blake spoke on last week. And if you guys remember that story, we have this man who is put together, polished, right? He's, he's wealthy, he's religious, Right? And he comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus walks him through it. And then he says, I've done these things. I've done these from my youth. I've done all the things that I'm supposed to do. And Jesus asks him to give away everything he has. And where do we leave the rich young ruler is he walks away disheartened. Right? And that's where we're at as we come into Mark 10, as we start to ping pong ourselves right to where Mark is going. So we start off in verse 32, right? And we see Jesus who is now heading straight towards Jerusalem, right? And if you've been listening to Mark as we've been walking through it, we get this immediately, 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 like Jesus is going somewhere. And it says, and they were on the road going up to Jerusalem. Now Jerusalem was about 2,500 feet above sea level. So there's this idea that Jesus is going uphill towards Jerusalem, towards his death, right? And Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was happening to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him, and after three days he will rise. So as we look at what Jesus is doing, he starts this contrast, taking us from this wealthy religious man, right, to the king of the universe who is heading straight towards his death, right? And this is the third time in Mark that Jesus has proclaimed his death, has told his followers, this is where we're going. Remember, Peter denied him, and then he, did, and then he had to rebuke Peter, right? We remember that. So Jesus has made this claim multiple times, and he's contrasting himself against this rich young ruler, right? We get this feeling that there's a crescendo coming in the book of Mark, right? That we're going to hit this crescendo and he's going to take us to this point of, of, of a complete shift in what's going on at the end of this chapter. So many historians, many theologians look at the book of Mark, not as a like theological diatribe, if you will, like a book of Romans or something like that. They more see it as, as a play, 
as a drama playing out. And so we, we start to see this drama crescendoing as he goes up to Jerusalem. He tells them once again that there's this urgency in what's happening. He's saying, this is it. We're looking at this a week out at this point. Something's happening. It's coming. There's no stop stopping it. And regardless of these past attempts to rebuke him in it, he stays dead set with his eyes set on the cross. How much does this contradict what we just saw with the rich young ruler, right? Who, whose eyes were so fixed on the temporary things of the world that he couldn't keep his eyes fixed on the king of the world that was standing right in front of him. And we see Jesus, the king of the universe, who's going to do the most difficult thing that has ever been asked of any human, God human, in history with his eyes fixed on this one goal. And so it comes back to us and we say, all right, what are the things that we are called to fix our eyes on? And so many things in scripture make this abundantly clear, right? What do we know that we are called to do that are direct, right? Pray, fast, just read through the Sermon on the Mount. Pray, fast, give, rest, love, disciple, serve, die. Those are, those are calls we have directly in scripture, right? But because of our hearts and our hearts leaning towards all the things of the world, where do we shift our focus? Towards my career, my car, my house, my bank account, my marriage, my kids. Just like the rich young ruler, we've been called to something that's right in front of us, and we are unwilling to exchange the temporary for the eternal. Right? Whereas Jesus is exchanging everything in the eternal for our eternal. We start to see this contrast. And then we get almost this comical sense as we walk into this next section. And in verse 37, it says, And they said to him, Grant, oh, did I miss a spot? Maybe I did. Hold on one second. Sorry. And James and John, the son of Zebedee, now we know who's talking to him, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Jesus said to them, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink you will drink, and with the baptism of which I am baptized you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they became indignant at James and John, and Jesus called them to him and said, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. For whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus ping-pongs us right back in the contrast, right? As we get almost this comical sense of them going on the road towards Jerusalem, we get this question from James and John that is like so out of context for what they literally just walked out of with the rich young ruler. They saw everything that was wrong with the power dynamics of the world and the things that we're holding on to. Jesus says, I'm going to do the opposite. And what's the question that they bring to him? We want power and authority. It's almost comical how blind they are to the things that are right in front of them, right? It's almost like 
a, a comic relief in the midst of this. And as readers, it kind of almost leaves us in shock, like the utter irony of the thing that they're asking. And we know the story, right? They, they're telling Jesus, we can, we can take on the baptism that you're baptized with, they, or the cup that you drink. They have no idea what he's talking about. And then we see a week later, what do James and John do? Desert him just like everybody else. And so we get this buildup in this idea that they're just jockeying for power and position and trying to figure out who's important amongst them, yet they don't even know what they're asking. And as the 10 start to get frustrated, it says, Jesus called them to him. Now, we can almost see there's a caravan of people, right, going to Jerusalem. We can almost see Jesus stopping in his tracks, looking at the 12, and saying, what in the world are y'all talking about? How have you missed this so hard? It flies right in the face of everything they've just seen. And so as we think about this dynamic and this ping pong of what Jesus is presenting to us and what he's presenting to the world and what James and John are asking for, it brought, brings us back to the way Jesus started his ministry in Luke 4. So in Luke 4, 16 to 21, Jesus is announcing his arrival on the scene and it says he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus' announcement at the beginning was about this upside-down kingdom that's coming. All the things they were expecting were not the things that he was going to bring to them, right? He's nothing like what they were expecting him to be. And for James and John, what Jesus is calling them to is to die to their own desires for power and authority, to die to the things that they think they want because what he's offering is so much better, calling them to service that's radically contrary to the reality of what they think it's supposed to look like. And he brings them to the Gentiles and he says, look at Rome. Look at what they do and look at what they're fighting for, right? Everything that is contrary to their own rise in power and authority, they'll trample under their feet. How it's supposed to be the opposite with you. When he comes on the scene, he says, this is about liberty for the captives recovery of sight for the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, to do everything that's contrary to overthrowing Rome and establishing earthly power. That's what they see. That's what we see. And how often is our heart torn between these two realities, the exact same thing that James and John are asking for? How much, even though we might not want to admit it, do we desire power and authority and wealth, and are we willing to compromise to walk right over people in order to achieve it? This is a reality of the human experience, right? And, and in my world where I get to work with baseball guys all the time, we talk about this all the time because baseball is the perfect picture of this. If you wanna go up, somebody else has to go down, right? And you're called to live in between these two kingdoms, just like we are. You want the promotion? Somebody else isn't in the job. How do you live in those two realities? How do you live in between what Jesus is calling you to in radical service 
and the whole way the world is set up to operate. Doesn't make sense. And now Jesus hits Jericho, which is the last stop before Jerusalem. It's about 15 miles from Jerusalem, right? And so Jericho's 15 feet below sea level. This is now, whoop, we're going straight uphill, right to the cross. And we hit Jericho and we get the closing of Act 2 of the book of Mark. We get the end of everything he's built up that now Mark runs us directly to the cross. And he ends with the irony that's everything against what James and John just said, right? So as we read here, and they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus and said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Literally as James and John are jockeying for positioning, as the rich young ruler is walking away disheartened, we see the opposite of what we're expecting, the blind beggar on the side of the road. The opposite of everything that the world would tell us have power and authority, but exactly who Jesus told us in Luke 4 he's coming for. And we get the culmination of Act 2 that Mark has talked over and over and over again about this idea of sight. Remember, I think, it, I don't remember which one of us preached on when, we, when Jesus spit on homeboy's eyes. This sight thing has been coming up over and over and over again. And now we get the man who sees is the opposite of the one who couldn't. The one, humanly speaking, in our context that we would think would have it all together. The guy who prayed and went to church and did the right things, had the power and authority, walks away with nothing. And the blind man who's willing to cry out in desperation gets exactly what he asked for. And so now it comes back to us and we say, oh, where is our heart? Do we think we have this thing put together? Right? Are we willing to die to ourselves? The hardest thing. Are we willing to die to ourselves in marriage? Abby and I are in the middle of something right now that we're working through that neither of us want to die to ourselves in. That's the reality of marriage. Are we willing to die to ourselves? Are we willing to die to ourselves for our kids? Are we willing to die to ourselves for our community? Are we willing to die to all this and in desperation cry out to Jesus to say, give me sight where I can't see? If we're believers here, we have to consistently come back to this heart posture. And if we're not believers here, the reality is that Jesus is there and waiting for us to cry out to him. And so the decision is here in where are we going to posture our heart before the king of the universe? In desperation or whether we think we have it all together? And as we close out Act 2 and Mark brings us to the curtain closing with this blind beggar, we're going to open the curtain and all of the readers in Rome who have been watching Mark go back and forth and back and forth are finally going to see, now we're hitting the corner. Right? And so as we, as we walk through this together, I hope that we can posture our hearts to read this like the church in Rome would have read it. 
in desperation like Bartimaeus with nothing, the bottom of the totem pole, getting persecuted, murdered, set on fire, and being in desperate need of a Savior who's offered himself to us. I pray that that's where we're at right now. Let's pray. God, thanks for offering us sight when we're blind. Um, thanks for turning the tables upside down and, and offering us this upside-down kingdom that's just completely contrary to the way the world operates. God, I, I pray as we're called to, to model service after you've modeled service to us, um, I pray that we look for opportunities to do that radically. Pray that we look for opportunities to posture our hearts um, and remember that we have nothing to bring to the table. Um, God, I pray that as hard as it is and as challenging as it is and how much we don't like to do this and don't do it, that we die to ourselves because we know that's what you've called us to. And the things of the world that are gravitating at our heart and pulling at our heart's affections, God, I, I pray that, that we die to those things knowing that what's offered to us is so, so, so much better. How much more, God, do we want to be Bartimaeus than the guy who had all of it? God, I pray for us today that we put ourselves in positions of desperation and we cry out to you. In Jesus' name, amen.